And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to Creating a Family talk about adoption and infertility. Today we're going to be talking about kinship adoption, also sometimes called relative adoption. I think you're going to enjoy the show. I certainly know I did. Here's a sample of what you're going to hear. What qualifies uh, for a child to be able to um, uh, now be adopted uh, by a relative in the United States? Yeah, um, and poverty is not a qualifier. Um, A single parent is not a qualifier. The only way a child can qualify is if, in fact, the child was relinquished, abandoned, or the parental rights were terminated, and the child became a ward of the state. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Infertility Education and Support Nonprofit. You can find us online at creatingafamily.com. We are a weekly radio show, and we use the podcast model. That way you can listen whenever and wherever you want. You can also subscribe. So whatever app you're using to listen to this show, just find their subscribe button, which is usually very apparent, and click subscribe. And if you're not using an app and you're listening on your computer, you might find it easier. If you've got a phone, uh, just pick, uh, if you've got an iPhone, you can use the uh, Apple uh, podcast app, uh, which it comes in, uh, pre-installed usually. Or if you're on an Android, you can just... Just grab any of the thousands of uh, podcast listening apps. Uh, grab one of them. They're free, or most of them are free. And uh, you can then subscribe uh, to uh, the show and become a podcast addict like I am. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer does not have to mean a loss of your fertility. If you or a loved one are facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medications through Faring's Heartbeat Program. To learn more, go to their website, heartbeatprogram.com. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support from our gold sponsors who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to those struggling to create their family. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a Hague-accredited adoption agency placing waiting children from around the world. They offer home study and post-adoption services to residents of North Carolina and New York. They place kiddos from Armenia, Bulgaria, Georgia, Ghana, Guyana, Morocco, Pakistan, Serbia, Ukraine, and they also do kinship adoptions. We also have Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed and accredited nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They have three adoption programs, Private Infant, International, and Adoption Through Foster Care. I'll tell you about some more of our gold sponsors later in this show. 
But in addition to the gold sponsors I just mentioned, we also have other great sponsors who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support. We ask that when choosing an adoption service provider, please consider choosing one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. You can search by locations, services provided, years in operation, just a a host of factors that we think are important when choosing. And by using these directories, you support those who support us And we thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about the special challenges of kinship adoption. We have three great guests on today's show to help us talk about uh, the the logistics as well as some of the things that you may not have thought of if you're going to embark on this journey. We have Robin Sizemore. She is the Executive Director of Hopscotch Adoptions. They are an international adoption agency with an active kinship adoption program. We also have Lauren Perkarski. She is an adoption social worker for the Catholic Charities, for Catholic Charities, uh, and she provides support for all types of adoptive families, including relative adoptions. We also have Tim Eirich. He is an adoption attorney with Grob and Eirich in Colorado. They specialize in adoption, child welfare cases, as well as assisted reproduction. He is also a member of the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys. Welcome, Robin, Lauren, and Tim to Creating a Family. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Well, we're going to divide this show up a little differently than we usually do. I want to divide it up into three sections. One, first, I want to talk about domestic kinship adoption, some of the practicalities associated with that. And then I want to talk about international kinship adoptions uh, and some of the, uh, the specifics and the logistics of that. And then I want to open it up to some of the special issues that you see in kinship adoptions that people often don't think about. And I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to be asking in that section in particular for tips for people who are considering adopting a niece or a nephew uh, uh, for things that they probably haven't thought about, may not have thought about, and this would be tips for them for things that they can do or can think about in advance. So that's your heads up uh, to be uh, in your mind prepared. Uh, Tim, I'm going to start with you uh, because as an adoption attorney, you see a fair number, and and particularly in your practice, domestic kinship adoption cases. And my question is, uh, do you see mostly uh, kinship adoptions coming through the child welfare departments, the social services departments, also known as foster care, uh, where the child is already in in foster care or has been removed uh, or there's a threat of removal from the biological family? Um, or do you see this as a where uh, it's being handled outside of governmental involvement, which is more common? You know, I, I think from what we see, I'd say it's pretty equally split. You know, we see a lot of cases where you know, children are are already living with a relative, and then they approach us at some point, and they want to, you know, they want to then pursue an adoption for a child that's already in their care. So I, I think based on what we see, it's pretty equally split. Okay, so let's talk some about what the distinctions are. There advantages or disadvantages to getting social services involved? And I've we received a question, so I'm going to uh, that will be a jumping off place. This is from Bill. He said, "We are adopting our niece and nephew. The boy has a lot of problems. We could use some financial help to pay for his therapy. How do we get this?" Um, I thought that might be a good jumping off part to talk about. Are there advantages? To adopting, uh, getting social services involved, uh, and are there and are there disadvantages? 
Gosh, you know that that's a great question. I think as the as the as the question was posed, obviously one of the advantages of having human services involved is accessing resources like therapy, for example, or uh, potentially even having the child child qualify for an adoption assistance, you know, through a subsidized adoption. Um, that said, you know, anytime government gets involved in a child's placement, at least in Colorado, for example, that child is then appointed a guardian ad litem, there's court hearings, and there's a whole process to potentially rehabilitate the parents. And so it, it certainly adds a layer of complication. And so uh, with the advantage potentially of pursuing a subsidized adoption, which could give um, a child resources post-adoption, anytime you get human services involved, it certainly adds another layer of complication, although there are certain benefits to it. I think a lot of people are, quite frankly, surprised. Uh, we hear this question after the adoption. I think the assumption is if you adopt a child with special needs or you find out after the fact that the child has special needs, the assumption is that that you are going to be eligible for uh, financial support from the state. But is that is that indeed the fact? You know, not necessarily. You know, children at least, you know, there's, at least in Colorado, we have two different adoption subsidy programs, what we call the 4E, which is the federal, federally funded adoption subsidy program, and then we have the non-4E, which is the state or county-based. You know, for, for children to qualify for 4E, you know, you know, which is the federally subsidized program, there's certain requirements um, that children need to meet to be eligible. And while there are, you know, increasing steps to make most children eligible, you know, one of the criteria are, when the child was removed from their parents' care, you know, was the, essentially was the, was the parent indigent. You know, there's a financial qualification piece to that. And so oftentimes, you know, there's, there's always these different factors that children need to qualify for to at least get the federally, um, federally funded subsidized program. So, you know, our advice typically is make sure you at least ask the question to see if this child is eligible for special needs, for a special needs subsidy a- program. You said there was another subsidy program uh, that's at the county level or at state level. It is, and, and again, it's still you know it, it's where a child may not meet the, the the federal eligibility program, but in Colorado there's a non what we call a non 4E program. Um, generally, children who are in kinship care and human services are not involved. Generally, do not qualify for that program. That generally, you know, the more often we see that is where a child already is in the care of a grandparent and then human services gets in, and they assume custody. And so because the child was removed by human services from a grandparent, for example, if assuming that grandparent isn't financially indigent, that child likely wouldn't qualify for a 4E program, um, but they might qualify for the county or state program. And it's a lot of times it's just based on that, that relative's income at the time human services got involved. And so then... For a family that's trying to make a decision of whether or not they, there is a child in their family that they are willing to adopt and raise, and they're trying to make the decision of whether or not at this point the child is not involved, the social services have not been involved, what are some of the things they need to consider uh, about whether or not to try to get child welfare involved? From a logistic standpoint, do they if they are even thinking about it, do they have to make a report of child neglect or abuse 
uh, to social services, or can they just call up their whatever their local Department of Child and Family Services or whatever it's called, and uh, say that they're interested in this? How does that work? Well, that's you know that's a great question. You know, a lot of times human services, at least in Colorado, will not get involved if the child is already in a safe place. So, for example, if a niece or a nephew are with their aunt and uncle, and the aunt or uncle want to call and get human services involved, um, they're going to want to know why. And if that child is already in a safe place and they have faith or trust that the aunt and uncle are making decisions that are safe and appropriate for this child, human services probably won't get involved, again, at least in Colorado. And so a threshold question is, will human services even get involved? Okay, that's, yeah, and that's, and the problem is it puts families in a really difficult position because they've stepped in to remove the child from a bad situation. Do they have to put the child back in a bad situation in order to get social services to get involved? You know, absolutely. I think that's the that's the catch-22 with this, and oftentimes that's why families then will call, you know, a, a licensed placement agency, like an adoption agency, or they'll call our firm to provide guidance about what are our options. You know, a, a second thing to consider is, you know, what are the respective laws of the state where that family lives? You know, for example, in Colorado, we actually have a type of adoption specifically called kinship adoption, which allows a legal path for relatives who, who are delineated relatives that meet the definition of kin um, to pursue an adoption um, without getting human services involved. Um, and it's, it's really like a direct path to pursue an adoption. Not every state has that type of law. So, you know, I think the next step is when families are thinking about whether they get human services involved or try to handle it privately is to, you know, speak to an attorney or speak to an adoption agency to see what the laws are of your particular state. Well, one of the things they need to, it seems to me, look at at this point as well is how involved is the child's needs. If the if the child has relatively minor needs and they feel like they are going to be able to afford the therapy and, and or treatment or medical treatment or whatever the issue is, uh, that's one issue. But it's another thing, if they're not sure how involved the the child's needs might be and are concerned that financially it might be too much for them, um, isn't that a, a consideration, too, whether or not you want to risk getting child welfare involved? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not, not all private insurance has great programs for dealing with children's mental health needs. Yeah, and um, mental health is exactly what I was thinking of, because physical issues yeah, are usually so, will be handled, and, right. And, and, and frankly, that's a, you know, I think it's not lost upon you, Don, as well as the other members of the panel. This is, that's a national epidemic is, is just how do we meet the mental health needs of our kids, particularly ones who may have had a traumatic early start in life. And so, you know, when we look at cost, you know, I think the first question is, you know, what insurance would this child, child qualify for post-adoption? And does that insurance, would that insurance cover this child's mental health needs? Um, and frankly, even sometimes with a special needs adoption subsidy, and that child might qualify then for Medicaid, even then, you know, depending on where you live, those Medicaid providers may or may not do a great job of meeting that child's mental health needs. So without question, I think the question of insurance and providers um, are a huge component of this question. 
All right. Let's move now to talking just briefly. Well, actually, let me just take a quick uh, break and say that uh, uh, Creating a Family is the national uh, infertility adoption education and support nonprofit. We have one of the largest networks, if not the largest network, actually, in the social uh, community and the social networks on the areas of adoption and infertility. We would, in fact, Clout now ranks us as number two online worldwide in these areas. Um, there are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. Uh, one is our page, of course, which is creating a I'm not listening to me. Facebook.com slash creating a family. The other is our very large uh, support group, and you can access that by Facebook.com slash groups slash creating a family. Or you can just type in creating a family in the Facebook search box, and both the page and the group will pop up. You can like the page and join the group. Uh, or you can also connect with me at dawn.davenport1. We hang out on Pinterest and Twitter as well, and we go by Creating a Family there. So at Creating a Family, all one word, uh, is how you can find us over there. All right, now I wanted to move to talking about international kinship adoption. Robin, I know Hopscotch has a very active program, um, and I also uh, know that there have been some significant changes in the last several years in how international kinship adoptions work, and I'm sure that you've had uh, a lot of calls on that as well. So what have been the changes uh, with, if you've got a relative a child uh, living in another country, uh, and that child has need, needs for a new family. How do you go about getting that child in, here and adopting them? Well, um, in the past, prior to the Universal Accreditation Act, a family could um, simply have a home study done by a licensed social worker um, or an agency and um, go through the I-600A and I-600 process independently of an an agency, and more specifically, a Hague-accredited agency. Um, and uh, there were quite a few families that were coming to the visa window that learned, sadly, that their child did not qualify as an orphan, which is required for the child to be able to come back to the U.S. Um, with a, a visa as their child. And so we've been hearing about that quite a bit. And now with the Universal Accreditation Act, um, families are being required to work with Hague accredited agencies, and we are kind of catching things before they get to the window. And for example, when a family would call and say, you know, my niece, my nephew, I just want to give them a better life, and we just stop them right there and and let them know that you know that visa window is going to come down really fast and move your fingers back because that does not qualify a child for an orphan, and they will not even begin to entertain your request. Um, so we, well, let me stop you there. Hard. Okay, so mm-hmm. let me just stop you. Okay, so what do we need? It, 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 just because a child is, what if a child is in extreme poverty? Uh, what if the child is being raised by a single mom who works 60 hours a week and is having trouble finding child care? What qualifies uh, for a child to be able to um, uh, now be adopted uh, by a relative in the United States? Yeah, um, and poverty is not a qualifier. Um, A single parent is not a qualifier. The only way a child can qualify is if, in fact, the child was relinquished, abandoned, or the parental rights were terminated, and the child became a ward of the state. Um, And another little glitch there is quite often families are taking direct relinquishment, meaning um, my sister in Guyana 
is having troubles. She signs relinquishment to me so that I can adopt her child, and we think everything is fine, and then we find out, in fact, that child was never an orphan because the child did not become a ward of the state or did not um, go to the custody of a, a third party before the child came to me, and so that would disqualify the child. So the child has to have parental rights and or guardian, whoever that might be, um, relinquish irrevocably and to the state, or um, abandonment, which can be proven by police investigation or social welfare investigation, or parental uh, parental rights terminated by the court. That's really the only way the child's going to be able to come. Let me stop and I want to ask a question from Lawrence. He sent sent in a question. It's kind of long. I'm going to paraphrase. Uh, No offense, Lawrence, but the, the gist of it is just this. His grandmother is raising his nephew. Uh, she is in very poor health. There are no other family members uh, at this point uh, uh, in, 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 that would be able to adopt this this little boy. He wants to adopt him. At some point, the grandmother is going to uh, is going to die, and uh, so anyway, her health is very poor. What can they do? She is she is still alive. She's in very poor health. Uh, neighbors are pitching in to help take care of the little boy and to help her, but there isn't. There are not other family members that can step up. So, what? What is there any? Is there any recourse that Lawrence has? Well, we would back it up even further um, because the, the biological parents still have to be accounted for. And are they dead? Um, are they missing? And can that be proved? Or did they sign uh, irrevocable rights to the grandmother? So. They're um, if, unaccounted for, I think. They have not been seen nor heard from in many years. So depending on which country, they would have to have a social worker investigation. Some countries require a newspaper advertisement for a series of weeks. Um, it would depend on the country's process and in, in being able to provide documentation that, in fact, the children were abandoned. In that case, uh, Grandma could, could um, sign the children to uh, award of the state or over to social services, and most likely could proceed. Most likely. But do they have? Uh, this goes back to what uh, Tim and I were discussing. Uh, it, it, is it required that the child go into state care, um, which is you know has a lot of risk associated? At least in, it, from mm-hmm. in this particular situation, it doesn't sound like an ideal situation. But we, it also at least there is an, a, one adult that is responsible for caring for this child. So would they literally have to put him in an orphanage or in state care? I mean, some places actually have foster care uh, as an option. Um, but would they have to put him in governmental care before they can even proceed to try to adopt him? Not necessarily. Um, in a convention case, um, we had two children that were living with grandparents, and the central authority out that to remove the children and place them in orphan in an orphanage while the adoption was processing was not in their best interest, and they Duh. had neighbors that could check in on them. Right, yeah. I know you would. <laughs> yay yeah. for them. But they, yeah. And so they they really did the right thing for these kids, but it, it had to be very documented, and there was um, additional social worker reports and. And the neighbors stepped up and took care of the kids um, with the financial support of the family here in the U.S. until they could get things taken care of. And in those cases, that worked out. Um, however, 
I would say that we also have had cases where the the uh, adoptive parents proceeded independently, completed the adoption, and then they were told, no, you're not going to get a visa. And the remedy to that, unfortunately, is to undo the adoption, vacate the order, and then go back and secure correct relinquishments, which is really difficult for a lot of uh, developing countries' legal system to comprehend, and um, especially some of the countries that we're working with. And it's a nightmare, and we really are pressing the State Department to make some differences for kinship adoption because they shouldn't be put to the same test as uh, just a non-relative adoption. It's really, you know, the best place for that child by our own standard is with the family. And so our laws are kind of contradicting that. But currently that that is not in effect. And if there's a country with um, a very uh, advanced infrastructure, uh, and, and by the way, uh, for our audience, when uh, Robin mentioned a convention case, she means an adoption that was proceeding under the uh, Hague uh, Treaty or Convention for Intercountry Adoption, meaning that both the sending country and the receiving country, the United States, are members of the of this treaty, have signed this treaty. Um, so, but but when you said that, but right now under the uh under the Hague treaty there aren't there aren't uh, special uh cases or kinship adoptions aren't treated differently did i understand that, that that what you're saying is what you hope to be in the future that they would be exactly yeah there is no differences made in how we can um assist the family to remain together at this time everything has to be the same as a regular uh, orphan case Lois asks a question. She says, does it matter if it's my niece or another really close relative versus like a cousin or a child of a cousin? Does any of that matter, Robin? Um, we we have brought that to the State Department when we've had like second removed, and they said it, uh, kinship is kinship. It would be um, required to be proven, and the family could be subjected to DNA testing um, at the point of visa interview, but um, they they said that family is family as long as the child actually qualifies as an orphan and there is no other family for that child. And therein lies the rub, um, is the, mm. getting the child to qualify. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, is it possible to live in the country for X number of months, years, to avoid having to uh, go through the international adoption Hague Convention process? There... Um, it's it re, the law reads very simplistic, but in fact it, it's a little bit more complicated to that than that. And we would refer families to definitely um, contact Children's Issues in the State Department to be sure that they understand what um, having custody and what would constitute uh, the child being in their custody for USCIS standards while they were living in another country. So, for example, just having the child in your care in foster care may not qualify for a two-year period. But if you, if the court actually gave you legal custody of the child and awarded the child um, to you, then that may. But every case is different and every country is different, and we would seek guidance with the State Department first. Okay. And so how would somebody find an agency? They've got a relative in another country. They need help in figuring out 
whether this is even going to be possible. Do they have to do they have to um use an adoption agency in the United States or uh, can they go forth on their own and oftentimes they speak the language or they have they know people uh, obviously uh family members in the country that they're the sending country. So do they need to use an agency and if so how do they find an agency here in the United States that that can do kinship adoptions? Yes, um, and they they are required um, by USCIS to use a Hague accredited agency as a primary provider. And quite a bit of the problem that we encounter when working with families that are obviously nationals and speak the language and, and know the system well is that we this probably is most likely going to take place in a non-convention country, and we are required as a primary provider to have the person on the ground in that country under a foreign supervised provider agreement so we really can't just work with just anyone um, because it has to be a, a quite a bit of documentation, recording, and reporting to the Council on Accreditation and State Department. So um, families do think that they can proceed, and then they would come back and be told that they have to have a primary provider, and that is not the time to start looking for one because whoever the primary provider is is going to have a liability of whatever you have done without supervision on their desk. So we just caution families to don't go forward until you you have a primary provider secured. And then don't do it your way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so how do you know... I mean, if you're somebody here who is new to the world of, of adoption, how do you know who in the United States, which agencies in the United States could be a primary mm-hmm. provider for, you know, pick any country in the world where your relative mm-hmm. might might live? You could um, contact Council on Accreditation or Department of State, and they keep a list of agencies that are willing to work with um, these more complicated cases, such as kinship. And they keep a list of nine to twelve agencies that have um, committed to doing this work, and then just pick up the phone and find that there is a good fit, and make sure that um, you know that they are going to honor the the requirements, as cumbersome and ridiculous as it might seem to the family member, uh, but make sure that everyone is going to honor that, so that that child can come home to the U.S. and be in a stable and safe family. But would any um, would any of the specific listed agencies that Council on Accreditations might have, who are agencies that have said they're willing to uh, work work with kinship, could any of them handle any country, or do they actually have to have uh, are somebody already on the ground in that country mm-hmm. in order to pro- do the the uh, internal processing from the country standpoint, or could any of these right. agencies do that? I understand. So um, it depends on the country. For example, if it's Ethiopia or India, there's very few agencies that are um, permitted to work and have arrangements with those countries that can work in those. So if someone called us that wanted to adopt uh, a child, a kinship adoption from Ethiopia or India or any country that required that, we would refer them to an agency that um, had a program that was doing that. And the same as well, if you came to me and you said, you have a kinship adoption uh, for Bangladesh. I don't feel comfortable that I would know enough about the process or the system. I would refer you to an agency that I do know has um, experience in that country. And I think most agencies are operating that way. If they don't, okay. if they don't know, they they know who to contact. 
Gotcha. So your best bet at this point would just be to start calling, find out the, the, those agencies that are able to do kinship adoptions and, and international agencies, and then just start calling and say, we've got a situation in Bangladesh. We've got you know, a child, uh, my cousin in Bangladesh. So, all right, so that probably mm-hmm. would be your best, your easiest at that point. Okay, right. excellent. Um, let me remind you, we have a, our gold sponsors are the ones who allow us to bring you this show. Uh, and it is only through their generous support that this show does exist. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors, I mentioned a couple at the, at the beginning. Here's some others are Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas, providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. We also have the law offices of James Fletcher Thompson. They are a South Carolina firm committed to adoption and assisted reproductive law, including providing a gestational surrogacy matching program. Um, all right. Now, let's. it's time now to kind of kick it open to the, to the whole group. Lauren, you have been so quiet and so patient. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to talk now about some of the special issues with kinship adoption. Um, we think in terms of it being in that that all decisions made are supposed to be made in the best interest of the child, and we usually assume here in the United States at least that uh, best interest of the child is to be placed with relatives. Lauren, is that true? Is it, is it always is it always in the best interest of a child to be placed uh, with a relative, um, especially if it in, if if it involves moving, either moving a country or moving to a different state, moving out of their community? Um, what's the current thinking now in the social work therapy world? Yes. So I would certainly say that you are correct, that that tends to be a relative placement would be the first choice. Um, Obviously, that's not exclusive to every situation. And um, and certainly, especially when you're looking at relative adoptions, they're complex because of the variety of family dynamics. So while I would say that generally relatives are the would be the, the the first choice where we would look for a possible placement. That's certainly not e- exclusive, and I would say that most um, most a- agencies and human services d- departments do um, try to look at all of the complexities and handle things as much as possible on a case by case basis. Okay, <clears throat> excellent. And we have seen a rise, certainly a push, um, from the in foster care to seeking mm-hmm. out a kinship placements. That's been oh gosh, mm-hmm. even in the last. Oh, you know, ten years. It's certainly been a focus, and it, and it is, and it is increasing, increasingly more so. I think. Uh, so we see a rise in number of children who are being placed with, um, with relatives. Um, Robin, what are some of the issues that you have seen that are unique to family adopting family? Yes, um, the resistance to. Uh, a pre-adoption education seems to be um, very unique to the kinship, and typically families feel that, well, I already know my cousin, I know my my niece, and they are mistaking the transfer of the relationship to be bringing their niece whom they know, and they're forgetting the gro- the trauma of what brought their child to the place where they even could be considered an orphan. Uh, to begin with, and what about the grief and the loss for family, culture, uh, language, familiarity, and um, 
you know, just all of the things that a typical child from adoption is going to experience that we know and we prepare for and we have science to back it up. Families um, are really reluctant to believe that they're going to have to do it, do that. It's, it is interesting, though, that the highest dissolution rate among international adoption is within a kinship. So it's something that people really do need to take seriously. Uh, that's an interesting point, uh, and I actually didn't know it was the highest, but I would say that of of the of the letters and the emails and the questions that we receive, some of the most poignant um, have been through kinship and kinship. I think because people, um, and, well, maybe I should ask this as a question. It seems like one of the distinctions, and, and Tim, I'm going to throw this question to you. One of the distinctions between traditional adoption or non-relative adoption and kinship adoption is that with non-relative adoption, the parents are actively seeking out the adoption. They are choosing to adopt, whereas in kinship adoption, at least some of the time and, and perhaps even most of the time, the the adoptive parents are stepping up because there is a need, but but for the need, they would not have volunteered to to to, to do this. Um, do you see that in domestic adoption as well? Domestic yes, kinship adoption. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I and I think it, it it then raises I think one of the issues that was just brought up, which I think then is I, I think there's this misperception that. Um, relatives may not need as many services or financial support as a non-relative would. But, you know, for that very reason, it's oftentimes, you know, relatives are taking in children that they not they didn't necessarily expect, and they may not be aware of all the different needs and resources out there. Um, yet there's this belief that because it's a relative, they may not need the same level of support or even financial assistance that a non-relative would need. And so I think oftentimes it's it, it's in somewhat of a interesting twist, I, I think because it's often unexpected or not necessarily directly sought out, there's just as much of a need, if not more, for support and resources for family placements. Yeah, I would think there's actually more. I mean, I would, I honestly would, because again, so often they're stepping in, but this is not something that they've been financially preparing for, or even emotionally preparing for. It, absolutely, yeah. and oftentimes they already have. You know their own children and a family. You know, and, a, and a really, usually an intact family that they're making space and allocating resources to take in. Um, oftentimes, a sibling group, because oftentimes it's the family that steps forward and says, "Hey, listen, we're the one that can take in a sibling group of three, which obviously deals with a logistical and financial challenge. Yeah, and Lauren, I wanted to talk a little about. Uh, oftentimes, we see as well that the families who are adopting their their relatives already have biological children. How? What are some things that families need to consider in the mixing of a uh, an adopted child or children, uh, and Tim is right, often it is sibling groups, uh, with biological children, uh, things that, that would be helpful for them to consider before the, before the placement? 
Yes, certainly. That's a great question. And really tying back into what Robin was saying earlier about the importance of adoption education. And I think that that's one of the reasons why pre-adoptive education is so important in relative placements, because there are some of these unique dynamics, like um, how do you integrate these um, children who maybe previously were biologically cousins and now through adoption will become siblings to these children. So, I mean, certainly there's a lot of um, different dynamics that that have to be considered there Um, and and really making sure that you're supporting the biological children as well through that transition because sometimes it's, and and just in adoption in in general, sometimes when the the children who are brought into the family by adoption, obviously they're going through a major transition and may or may not have significant needs through that transition. So, um, So just making sure that all children are supported, which can certainly be a difficult task, especially if you're talking about um, sibling groups and um, and bringing multiple children into the home. So certainly there's many complex dynamics, but that's really where it's especially important to have that educational background and then also the active support of a social worker to make sure that those um, dynamics are being navigated as smoothly as possible. Let me just point out that creating a family has a number of um, we actually have an entire section on blending adopted kids and biological kids, uh, birth children by birth and children by adoption. Uh, we have lots and lots of resources, tip sheets, fact sheets, uh, articles, research. Um, I'm not sure if we have a video or not. We might well even have a video. So anyway, that is, and you can access those on our A to Z uh, resource guide page, which you can get uh, at the uh, clicking on adoption tab at the top of our any page on our website. Uh, that takes you to our landing page. Click on A to Z resources, and then uh, after you clicked on that, then you can just scroll down and find the uh, blending uh, adopted and bio kids and click on that, and it will take you to an entire section. Um, one of the things I did want to explore a little further, and that is the changing roles of of uh, of in the relationships, going from an aunt to a mother, or from a from the children's standpoint, going from a cousin to a sibling, or going from a grandparent to a parent. Robin, how do you see that playing out? Is that is that an, an added complexity, or or is it overshadowed by the fact that the knowledge of the child makes it, it makes it a fairly usually a fairly smooth transition? No, it's it it is very complicated, and um, you know, transitioning the family, you know, you're not my mom, you know, um, not regarding their siblings, you know, legally now their siblings, as such, um, is is really detrimental to the the bonding and the security of the family, and so we would say, and we would ask that families. Um, actually seek out additional counseling prior to going into that so that they have a family therapist um, to be able to work with them before the child, children or child gets here and then ongoing. But quite often the families are very resistant to this. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're just doing the best we can, making sure that they're going to be stable and safe. But they should know also that if things are not working out well, we would want them to call us and and let us help find some resources for them. We do try to stay in touch with even past what's obligated of us because we want to make sure that the kids are safe and stable. Oh, yeah. You know, it's so interesting to me. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying about the resistance, and it makes such good sense to me that, that you do see that. 
and yet it's uh, and, and I suspect that it also has something to do with uh, you know this is just one more costly thing that's going to be required of me and I'm trying mm-hmm. to step forward that type of thing is that where the resistance is or is it truly just a um, you know I've raised two kids already what's the difference in, in, in adding another kid to the family that type of thing yeah hey, Robin, I'm sorry the... I was asking you oh <laughs> So, yeah, it, it is that um, for sure that I've already raised children and they're just um, broad stroke applying parenting to parenting. And um, they have had to take the children in typically in crisis unexpectedly and had not financially planned for it. And they're very resentful sometimes that they even have to pay agency service fees um, or legal fees in the foreign country because it's not something that they had hoped and dreamed and planned for. Um, there may be resentment within the family of who is taking the children or, or not taking the children and did step up or didn't. Um, so, yeah, there's there's just a uh, just a lot there for them to really get their heads around. And culturally, yeah. you know, it's it's not helpful, you know, when we're trying to look at it in context of a culture that they're coming from, where you know, extended family was involved as uh, caregivers, but not necessarily mom and dad. So, Yeah, it's as we say, it's complex. Uh, Tim, we have a question that we got from Ashley. She says, we are raising my little brother. Do we need to officially adopt him? Uh, you can't, you don't know the specifics of that case, <laughs> but can you talk in general about some of the things that Ashley and others would need to think about whether uh, or not an official adoption would be beneficial for them and for the child. Okay, um, and, and and those are common questions I think we all see, and I and I look at it from two from from kind of two perspectives. You know, first and foremost, I think is the kind of uh, emotional meaning of what adoption does. You know, to what extent? You know, and it depends upon how old is the child, who does the child see as their mom or dad, and really that. You know, put aside the law for a second, just this emotional and mental health of what is, in, what is in this child's best interest and what the permanency of adoption can mean for a child. So I think that's one part, one way to answer the question. And then, you know, moving over more through the legal lens, it's, you know, the, the legal benefits of adoption. Um, you know, it would allow then, you know, the, the sister to make legal decisions for the child as a parent, um, the child being treated um, you know, as a child, from a from an inheritance standpoint, from a you know medical decision making standpoint, um, so you know I, I, those are really I think the two big factors. The you know the, the, we all know from research there's benefits of permanency and there's benefits of um, of a child knowing that this is my permanent adoptive home and regardless of what happens that's not going to change. Um, and, and obviously there's legal benefits to that as well, the ability to make decisions on behalf of that child, um, potentially changing the child's name if they want to do that, um, and knowing that this is my legal mom and dad. Um, now, it, the, another option would be uh, a legal guardianship. Wouldn't, wouldn't legal guardianship as a general rule give them uh, the permission to make uh, decisions, legal decisions, educational decisions, uh, uh, medical decisions on behalf of the child? Um, yeah, potentially. You know, every state has a, has has some different different parameters as to what guardianship or quote unquote custody may mean. Um, so that certainly could be um, a way to get that decision making. 
you know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of states, uh, those can also be changed and tweaked as the years go on. So when we talk about, um, you know, depending on the child's needs and that child's need for permanency, you know, all those decisions, whether it be through a custody order or a guardianship order, those can always be tweaked or amended as the years go by. So as, as a general rule, yes, a guardianship or a form of custody could allow that family member to make decisions for the child. Um, but depending on the parent's situation and um, to what extent the parent wants to get involved in the future, you know, the potential risk and, and benefit, depending on how you see it, is that those could be changed as time goes by. Okay. And, and Robin, from the standpoint of international adoption, is there uh, a way to bring a child over here that can, you can raise the child, uh, but it would be short of adoption? Um, I, I would refer to Tim. <laughs> I would say okay. call Tim. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. or in this case, it's more of probably an international law question. Tim, do you do? Are you familiar with that? That may be an unfair question for you. So I don't know if you practice much international adoption. Well, you, well, you know, we deal a lot with situations where children are already here and they're citizens of a different country, and so a lot of times, you know, that that then gets to the question. What is the person trying to do? Are they trying to seek an immigration benefit, or are they seeking to truly just get decision making? So, you know, in those situations, we have done a lot of guardianship, or, you know, Colorado doesn't use the term custody anymore. We call it allocation of parental responsibilities. So, we've done a lot of those cases for children who are citizens of another country, and then oftentimes through that, we'll also try to get a, a special immigrant juvenile status finding for the child. So it, it, all, it all, I think, you know, as, as Robin indicated before, a lot of it's country-specific um, and very very situational about what is really being sought. Yeah, and, and uh, how would somebody find an attorney who could help them with, with that, Tim? I mean, what, what type of specialty are they seeking at that point? You know, I... I I think it's oftentimes a hybrid because when we deal with kids from different countries, it's a combination of a family law issue as well as an immigration issue. So, you know, for example, our office, we actually have an immigration attorney in our office that partners with us on these cases because it really is a, a hybrid that deals with two different types of expertise. So my advice would be find a family law attorney that either also specializes in, a, in, in, a, in immigration or you might need two attorneys that will partner together to figure out the best solution for this child. Okay, so that's going to be your best bet. And, and when seeking out an attorney uh, that is specializing in adoption, we strongly recommend that you consider going to the we, – we have resources on this on our site, American Academy of Adoption Attorneys, because those are attorneys that truly – have made this their specialty, and that is not the same thing as your family law attorney or your cousin who practices real estate law for a corporation or whatever. Uh, it truly is a specialty and deserving of that. You are listening to Creating a Family. Let's talk about adoption and infertility. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our weekly e-newsletters. We have two newsletters, one for adoption and one for infertility. We let you know about the newest resources we add to the site. We usually add four to five pieces of content, four to five new pieces of content every week. We let you know about that. We also let you know what the upcoming week's blog topic and uh, show topics will be so you can submit questions. You can sign up on the top right corner of any page of our website. Lauren, it seems to me that one of the, the added complexities is that family relationships 
are difficult sometimes, and, and I think they're particularly difficult with something when a child is is being when a child is involved. If a child is being forcibly removed, or if somebody is giving up a, a child, relinquishing a child uh, vo- voluntarily. Uh, but there's still family involvement and family relationships and family perceptions. Uh, how does this? Uh, how do you see this playing out in some of the typical ways when it involves an adoption of a child in a family? I'm so glad that you brought this up because that was actually one of the main things that I really wanted to touch on in this podcast because that's real I see so much of of that that navigating openness in kinship adoptions can be very challenging um simply because there there are so many d- dynamics and I mean even if it is a voluntary placement um that relationship is obviously going to change and evolve over time, too. And then obviously it's even more complex in in a situation where the child may have been removed. And families really have a lot of interesting things that they need to to sort through um, because there there might be situations where the the, child, a a biological parent, and... um, the relative, their biological child that was adopted might all be invited to the same family celebration, and yep. maybe at mm-hmm. that particular. T- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just agreeing with you. That's, oh, that's okay. the way oh, we hear yes. that so often. Yes. Yes, and so and then for the for the adoptive family, figuring out really is it in that child's best interest at that time to see um, the biological parent, depending on what their relationship was, and also what I've often seen is that um, other family members will often have a lot of opinions as far as what that openness should or should not look like. So it can really I've often seen adoptive families being put in kind of a challenging situation and um, kind of in in between various family members who have different differing opinions and trying to navigate that. So what I would really recommend and what we've seen the most success with is just making sure if if possible, granted it's not always possible, to have a written openness agreement in place prior to the adoption. Um, and now that whether or not that's legally binding um, obviously varies on the state where the family resides and just and how they want to uh, approach the, the process. Um, but whether that be something that the, the social worker wasn't involved in and supported, that's how our agency typically handles it, but even if it's just an agreement between all parties, just to have something in, in writing to fall back on. I've seen be very helpful. But you're right, that's an incredibly complex situation that I see very commonly. We see it as well. And and, and just an added kind of twist to that or wrinkle to that is uh, family members not necessarily perceiving that the new parents, the adoptive parents, uh, are the parents. I don't know how common that is, but it's the, uh, well, that's really you know Betty's child or you know uh, Tiffany's child, and they're just raising it. Where and, and, and in a way denigrating, or the or the adoptive parents feel as if their their position as the parent is being is being denigrated or, or not fully respected. Um, is Lauren? Is that a common thing that you see, or is that just unique to people who are commenting on our group? Oh no, I I would certainly ag- agree. I have I've definitely had families sh- share stories. We're, we're just I mean, be it other family members or or even I mean other members of their community have just made comments that were um, rather in, insensitive in in that regard and really not respecting the ad- adoption in in some senses. So um, again, coming back to what Robin had mentioned earlier about the importance of adoption ed- education and um, and just really because we at least in in our education we really 
talk about kind of those dynamics and um, and navigating those situations. So I think that that education is critical so the family, at least in some sense, um, can feel prepared for those um, situations. And also a big thing I see is that family relationships change over time, too. So, I mean, even if the situation initially following the placement is going very smoothly, um, there's obviously so many dynamics that can come up in the future. So um, I know obviously each state varies in each agency in terms of the post-adoption support that they provide, but um, definitely just want to encourage families to contact the agencies that you've worked with or if you have other post-adoption resources in, in your community to really take advantage of, of those resources. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have, I mean, before we're going to start on the tips, but before we do that, we have a question from Francis, and uh, this, uh, Robin, is for you. It ties directly into what you and I were just talking about before. She says, uh, how much does it cost to adopt your cousin from the Philippines? We want to help, but we have been floored by the cost. We will already be paying to raise this child. Um, I realize you probably can't give a specific amount, but can you give us a range for what families should be prepared to spend to pursue. In this case, she's asking specifically about an international adoption of a relative. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for kinship adoption, as part of our our own commitment to family preservation, we have uh, insanely reduced um, agency service fee. And um, so for if it was with hopscotch adoptions, the agency fees um, you could expect would be 2500 for the agency service fees and 900 for post, uh, post-adoption service and 500 deposit. And if there was any shipping and if there were any bank wires, those would be uh, assessed at the time. And then it would be the in-country expenses of um, you know, the attorney fees. And I can't speak to what the attorney fees would be in the Philippines, um, but... You know, it, it would just vary. Um, some of our programs are $1,800 for the attorney fees, and others are more like 8000 But the family should remember about the tax credit. That's going to apply to them also. That's a good point. And I will say that um, not all agencies reduce their agency placement fee, uh, and that is paying for uh, the agency's time to uh, make certain that all the T's are crossed, I's are dotted, as well as the uh, preparation ahead of time. So, and, and not all agencies do that. So I would say uh, that that's probably, depending on who you go with, which agency you work with, that could be on the, on the low side. All right, now I'm going to give each of you a chance. If, if uh, talking, if, you, if families are coming to you saying they are considering or they want to do uh, adopt a relative, um, what tips would you say, if you have one or two things you could say to them about things that uh, will make this process smoother or easier or a better all-around process for everyone involved? Um, Tim, I'm going to start with you. Well, I'd say two things, education and expertise, I think, uh, I recommend families become educated uh, in terms of what they're getting into and the child's needs as well as resources available. And um, I recommend they, you know, at least consult with, if not retain expertise to help them with the process. You know, you mentioned before about, you know, attorneys with the American Academy of Adoption Attorneys. You know, every state has a different process, and um, families need to be educated about that process. Okay. Uh, Lauren, I'll give you the your next step. 
Yes. So I would just certainly say to keep the focus on the child or children to the best of their ability, because in any ad- adoption process, there's going to be moments that are frustrating and, you know, getting the paperwork together, the getting the fees together that are just going to feel cumbersome, but ultimately remembering why why they're, they're doing this and really what they're going to be able to provide for this child. And then also just really taking advantage, as I can't stress enough, of the, the resources of, of available to them, and especially resources like creating a, a family and through their adoption agency and any other support. And then just lastly, if they are intending on having openness with um, with the, the biological parents or, or other relatives, just trying to at least get some type of openness agreement in writing, I can I have seen be incredibly helpful just to have something to fall back on. If you hadn't mentioned that one, I was going to because I thought it was a great idea. And, and just before I, Robin, I'm coming to you in just a second, but before I do that, um, let me ask, uh, uh, and it is uh, certainly possible we have, uh, and I should have mentioned this before, this comes back to the expertise that, that Tim was talking about. In the United States, if you are uh, doing a domestic adoption, you can also, I mean, there's two ways you can go. You can go with an adoption attorney or you can go with an adoption agency. And, Lauren, this may be an unfair question because I'm asking you to speak for the universe of all adoption agencies, but uh, uh, do most agencies, uh, are they set up to facilitate kinship adoptions as well? I would imagine, so I would say oftentimes, um, I mean, it really depends. I mean, I would definitely want to speak with them and, and just make make sure that they have experience with kinship a- adoptions because that can be critical. Um, so I would say a lot of agencies probably have that groundwork in place, but you would definitely want to make sure that they had experience in that process but before pr- proceeding with them. And I mean, as as always, obviously, this is a, um, a significant financial journey and also a journey of the heart. So you really want to make sure that you've done your research on the professionals that you d- decide to, to work with to make sure that you're, you're comfortable with them. Great advice. Okay, Robin, you get the last say here. Tips for families who are, and which is probably the worst position to be in, right? Because now all the ones you've put down are already taken. But, but I know you were up for it, Robin. So, any tips in addition to the great tips we've already received? Well, I, I think I'm in the best position because I have to agree with uh, Tim and with Lauren. Those are the the primary components of things that you want to absolutely have um, commitment to. And then, you know, specifically looking with with an international kinship case, because we are going to have to prove that the child is an orphan, I'm going to have a list of documentation uh, that's required of you and um, in a very specific form from that, uh, typically from that country. And, um, you know, I'm going to do our very best to make sure that we can even um, work with the family before we get down the path. And so, and, and then obviously... Everything Tim had to say and everything Lauren had to say is a is a must and, and a priority. Excellent. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, is brought to you by our wonderful gold sponsors. A couple of more gold sponsors would include Nightlight Christian Adoptions. Uh, they are the pioneers in the Snowflake Adoption Program, which is a embryo adoption program. They also have International Domestic Foster 
uh, adoption programs as well. And we have Holt International. They were founded in 1956, and they want every child to have a loving and secure home. They have programs to strengthen and preserve families that are risk of, that are at risk of separation, and they are uh, one of the leaders in the global community for finding families for children who need them. All right. If you have enjoyed this show, we ask that you please rate it on iTunes. That is how uh, others find it. And uh, it, we're rated number one, and we'd love to keep uh, that rating. And uh, it's through your uh, rankings that uh, we are able to do that, and we truly appreciate it. If you would like to uh, join us in a discussion of some of the topics from today's show, please check out our blog tomorrow. It was at creatingafamily.org slash blog, uh, and, uh, and that's where we will be. Thank you so much to our guest for being with us today and discussing this uh, relatively complex and, and which I find kind of fascinating topic, Robin Sizemore with Hopscotch Adoptions, uh, Tim Eirich with Grob and Eirich Adoptions, uh, uh, attorneys, and uh, Lauren uh, Pekarski with uh, Catholic Charities. I know you're going to probably want more information about them, and in order to get that, you can go to their websites. For Tim's website, it is grob, G-R-O-B, Eirich, E-I-R, let's see, E-I-R-I-C-H, Dot com, grobirich.com, uh, Hopscotch Adoptions. Theirs is easy. It's Hopscotch Adoptions. That's with an S. dot org, and you can get information about their kinship adoption program as well as uh, information about Robin. To get information about uh, Catholic Charities, you can go to their, their website and, and Lauren and their website. And their website is cclse. Dot org and specifically then slash adoption would be helpful. That's how you would get to them. cclse.org slash adoption. Thank you all for joining us today, and I will see you next week. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.